On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the stock market. A lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of not understanding what happened with GameStop and Reddit and the stock market and shorting and all that kind of stuff. We're going to explain that. So hopefully you will understand and you don't even have to admit to anybody that you didn't understand. It's okay. It's okay. We're here to help because there's a lot of people who are confused about this. We're also joined by Don Robertson. Lots of stuff to talk about, including should the NHL be marketing Sidney Crosby better if they can? Would you trade, sorry, Connor McDavid, would you trade Sidney Crosby and do sports, does sports need villains? Stick around. Lots to talk about. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Many people's heads were swimming when they tried to figure out what this story about GameStop and Reddit and the stock market and all this stuff was all about. It's not simple. And for a lot of people, just like a wind over their head, no idea. And I get it. I get it. If you understand it completely, you are really ahead of the curve. Understand that. Not everyone does. So bear with us right now over the next few minutes because many people don't really understand what happened and frankly, what's still happening because silver today, silver stocks and silver was undergoing a similar thing today on the stock market. It is very complex. Well, thankfully, we know someone around here who specializes in reducing the complex to concepts that even people like you and I, especially me, can understand. Um, Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business joins us. Sir, how are you tonight? Great, thank you. Uh, Just before we do this, Lorraine, if you could just uh, shut down my pot or something, I'm not hearing Marvin, I'm just hearing myself. Hello there, Scott. There we go. I can sort of hear you, Marvin. We'll, We'll work with this. Okay. Um... You often like to back up, and it's a good thing. You back up to from the starting point to fill in some details and build a foundation when we have these chats. So rather than me start today by saying what the heck is going on, let's back up already and explain in human terms, if you can, the concept of shorting on the stock market, because that really seems to be what this is all about. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to back up even just a little further than that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let me talk about this stock that's at the center of all this, a a thing called GameStop. Not necessarily a household name here in Canada. It's a retailer in the United States, 6,000 locations, and it sells video game uh, things like the PS2s, PS5s, whatever we're up to now, the games themselves, and paraphernalia. Now, unlike many other retailers in the last year, it was considered a non-essential retailer, which meant during COVID, many places it was shut down. So guess what? Over the last year, its revenue was going down because the revenue was going down, its profits were going down, and the company had fallen on hard times. So that's GameStop. Now, there are two ways you can make money. There's probably more than two, but two ways you can make money with a company's stocks. One is, of course, you can buy and trade them and sell them, what have you. But Wall Street allows you to take out an option, which basically allows you to bet on which direction you think a stock is going to go. So I can make money as long as the stock goes in the direction I think it's going to go. If you think a stock's going to go up, then you bet on that. And if it does, you make money. If you think it's going to go down, you can bet on that. So that's what this short selling is really all about. You're betting that the stock is going to go down. And everything told us that as we were heading into this deeper wave, uh, who knows when we're going to come out of this wave, who knows when the vaccines, at least for the foreseeable future, GameStop's prospects looked pretty grim. So Wall Street was shorting the stock. 
Now, we have to add one more little thing to the puzzle, and that's this thing called Reddit. Reddit is a social media platform that allows people who have common interests to get together and talk about things. For instance, I'm sure there's a Reddit. If you collect Polish stamps, you can talk to other Polish stamp collectors and talk your head off. Well, one of these Reddit themes is called Wall Street Bets. And who knew but gamers, people who like to play video games, uh, read the Reddit uh, uh, about Wall Street and said, you know, I don't like what they're doing to my favorite store. How can we teach Wall Street a lesson? And so on Reddit, they said, I've got this idea. Why don't you and I band together? We'll buy some of this stock. By buying the stock, we'll start to drive the price up. And those Wall Street types who are betting it's going to go down, they're going to lose big time, and we'll teach them a lesson. And so for the last three weeks, thanks to Reddit and these gamers, the price of GameStop stock has gone up roughly, get this, Scott, 1,600%. 1,600% stock that probably should be trading for about $10 a share was trading for $300 a share. And, and as a result, the Wall Street people lost a ton of money. Okay, let, let me go back now and fill in a few of the pieces that I think a lot of people are finding a little confusing, even with that great explanation. And that goes back to the idea of shorting. So you're betting on the fact that the stock is going to go down. You're buying some of these options. But even if the stock goes up then, are you not just losing the amount of money that you put into those options in the first place? So That's presumably right. you're not putting all your money in. So... It, it, but it, yet it sounds like there are certain hedge fund managers and other people investing who are we're hearing are in dire straits because of this. Does this mean they dumped everything into this? Yes. Well, I'm not sure I'd say they're in dire straits, but these hedge funds make money by betting on direction stocks are going to move, and the total damage done to Wall Street was probably on the order of maybe five to eight billion dollars. Because when they buy, they buy in big blocks and they wager in big ways. That's a bit like betting on which way you think Apple is going to go or Tesla is going to go. Only there, they would go long rather than short, meaning they think the stock is going to go up. So they, they had to give up last week. They said, okay, you beat us fair and square. We're just walking away from our investments and we'll lick our wounds for billions of dollars. So bravo, Main Street taught Wall Street a lesson. But my concern is this. To do that, lots of little Main Street investors now own stock that is dramatically overvalued. GameStop is not worth $350 a share. And just today, just today, GameStop stock, that's hard to say, GameStop yeah. <laughs> stock dropped 33%, 33% in one day, because reality is hitting. And, and now the people who bought the stock, not Wall Street, but these nice individuals, they're seeing their investments start to go down, and they're going to lose money. The difference Wall Street can afford to lose $2 billion, $5 billion, $8 billion. They're not happy about it, but they can afford to do it. I'm not sure all these little investors can. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If the people who bought this trying to make a point were even halfway intelligent, I think they would suddenly say, holy cow, I've now got a stock that I can sell that's worth a small fortune, but generally is probably worthless. Wouldn't they all just turn around and sell it? Well, that's the concern. So uh, let me just uh, get a little more about that concern. Last week, as this story started to break, the, the Reddit group that they call the Wall Street Bets group got more and more and more followers. 
Well, as you got more and more followers and the GameStop stock started shooting up into the hundreds of dollars a share, the group started to spread out and they said, well, let's pick some other quote-unquote loser stocks and drive them up. So we saw AMC, which is a big movie chain in the United States, movie theaters dark for much of the last year because of COVID. They started doing BlackBerry, Bed Bath & Beyond, another retailer. And by the end of it, there were about six of those stocks that were all going up, all of this money flowing from these tens of thousands of followers. Now, today, on that same Reddit, Wall Street bets two messages, two key messages. The first was, don't sell, don't sell, don't sell. If we don't sell our GameStop stock, it won't fall. And again, they're absolutely right. If you buy and hold and no one's selling it, it shouldn't fall in value. But the problem is many of these small investors, they suddenly realize they're up high on a tightrope. So the selling started today, one-third of the value gone. But here's the other funny thing. Again, tens of thousands of followers. So somebody wrote on the Reddit, I've got a great idea. Let's pick uh, another thing that has been a bit of a dog of late, silver. And we should all go out, and this is what it said, we should all go out and buy four ounces of silver. <laughs> Just imagine imagine you read that on some discussion board. <laughs> Would you follow that advice? Of course not. But on this discussion board, under these conditions, they did. And so today, silver had one of its best days, went up about $8 an ounce, back to prices that we saw in 2011, 2013, and no good reason for it. Now, silver is not a bad uh, metal, and we know we're going to need it in high-technology devices. But the question is, what are they going to say tomorrow, and will the lemmings continue to take this? And there is a serious side to this, Scott. We are talking about stock price manipulation. If I said that to you under any other circumstance, you would be appalled that people are manipulating stock prices. Even if they're doing it for good intentions, that's not what you think should be happening in the stock market. And what I'm worried about are all of these Redditors, that's the name of the people who use this service, are they doing this simply to teach Wall Street elect, uh, 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 a mission here, teach them a lesson, or are there some nefarious people behind the scenes purposely using this forum to make money for themselves, not worrying about the other people, people who they used to call suckers, and see if they lose money. And, and this is what worries me as the dust begins to settle on this over the next week ahead. We may discover that these nice people were led down the garden path by some very nefarious individuals. Well, I did find it very interesting that it, it seemed as though the idea was to sort of stick it to Wall Street, as you point out. And then when the stocks get, because they're anti-capitalist or whatever else, but when all of a sudden that stock becomes very valuable, it's amazing how many of them are suddenly capitalists when they realize they can cash in and make all this money. It's yep. amazing. But the other part of this, though, so let, let's follow this to its logical conclusion then. So they do all this with the GameStop. They build this thing up to a ridiculous price. Yep. A few people decide, I actually like capitalism. I'm going to sell my stocks. It drops down. Are the people, the hedge funds and all the rest, if they just hung in long enough, is this not going to return to its natural position and the regular order is going to return? Well, I'm going to say yes. Now, one of the things about these options, going short or going long, is it's time limited. When I'm placing a bet, it's like I'm placing a bet for Friday midnight. I can't bet for the next seven years which way it's going. So the reason why those people walked away and lost their money last week was that their bets were coming due. And if wherever the stock is on the time it comes due, you either win or you lose. Um, this week, most of those companies who were betting on direction 
will tell you they think it's going to fall, but they're not about to put their money where their mouth is because, again, they've seen the power of the people, so to speak. But, yeah, ultimately, within a month, this is going to be a forgotten story. GameStop's going to be back to about $10, $12 a share, and the market buying and selling, putting and, and holding, shorting and longing, all of this will go back to normal. But for the moment, it's been great fun to watch. I do think there will be investigations, and I won't be shocked if we see some rules coming out about this. One more quick note, Scott. Uh, another group behind this, you may have heard the name Robinhood. Yes. Uh, Robinhood is an online trading platform which allows you to buy and sell stocks for virtually nothing, no cost, like $3 a trade, $5 a trade. So we also had this situation in the United States of many people getting a $600 check from the government, in theory, for COVID relief. But if you didn't need the relief, you had 600 found dollars burning a hole in your pocket, and I could go to Robinhood, open an account, and trade stock for you know $2, $3 a transaction. So this also fed into this. And now Robinhood, fearing that there will be lawsuits, people who didn't understand what they're doing, who are saying, you should, have, you should have protected me from my own stupidity. You should have stopped me from doing this. They've now started to limit how much of this trading can be done on their platform. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Did you watch any golf on the weekend? I didn't. So, once again, there's a guy, people who know golf, I don't need to offer this explanation, but this is for the people who don't. There's a guy on the PGA Tour, he's a very good golfer, a guy named Patrick Reed, he's, he's an excellent golfer. He also is the villain. He is the he is the villain of the sport. And once again, he did something on the weekend, was just danced along the edge of the rules, maybe crossed over into cheating, maybe just on the fringe of cheating, but nonetheless close enough that even the commentators were just all over him, especially because this is not the first time that he's done it. You know, remember when Phil Mickelson a few years ago had that mental meltdown for a few seconds and hit the butt that was still rolling? And you said, okay, that was, you know, people got kind of goofy about it. But that was the only time I can think of that Phil Mickelson has ever done anything like that. He's not a bad guy. This guy, Patrick Reed, seems to find himself in these scenarios with some regularity. And he ended up winning the tournament, which drove some people just completely berserk. But Don, I want to ask you this, whether it's golf or baseball or hockey or basketball or football or whatever, are villains good for sports? Of course they are. Villains are good in everything. Um, look at the Roadrunner cartoons. Um, of course, I think it adds something to it. And, and in every sport, you know, I mean, if we were all the same, it wouldn't be interesting, right? In all sports, there's bad boys, whack jobs, whatever you want to call them. John Daly fit the mold very well. It's a bit of a kind of an out there, I'll do it my way type type of a guy. Didn't win enough to get the fame he got. But boy, he, he got a lot of fame, right? He was, uh, uh, people loved him. And people love guys that do things. And I think people that like Phil Nicholson, like that show, a little bit of a show of emotion when he whacked the putt because it was about his sixth putt and he's a great putter and he was pissed. So I think there's always villains. I mean, there's a, there's a fine line between villain and being a criminal. Some sports have more than their share of criminals and I'm not sure that's good for the sport, but bad guys are, you know, part of the game. Part of the Do chemistry, you, part of the character of them. 
to be a good villain, you have. Do you have to be a good player to be a good villain? No, Sean Avery wasn't the best player in the world, and he was a villain. He was pretty good, though. I mean, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't a, a dog out there. He could play hockey. He could be effective. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I look at this Matthew and I just Barnaby. think that. Matthew Barnaby, a guy that I believe played um, almost for the Dundas Real McCoys. Um, did he? His commitment, but he was around. I just look at this and I think if Patrick Reed didn't win or didn't compete, if he was a guy who was missing the cut or finishing 50th, who cares? That, that It's the fact that he is good and that he still either bends the rules or comes very close to bending the rules that, that makes him that villain that, you know, the, the guys who are irrelevant, I find it hard to think that they can hold that position of someone that people are going to care about. Yeah, there's, there's, um, I think sponsorship drives that. I'm going to go back to the money, but you know, if you're going to hang your name on a guy, and you're a good corporate citizen. Let's use Dundas's Mac Hughes, you know, John Levy's uh, score bet. You know, they, they hang their name on Mac's uh, sweater, and there's an expectation, a level of professionalism that they want versus if you look who sponsors John Daly. And so I think that there's always going to be room for sponsors, even if you're out there, because Reed may get more attention oftentimes than he really deserves. So maybe a sponsor's okay with that, depending on what you're selling, right? Maybe, I don't know, Duck Dynasty stuff, that's your attraction. I don't know. But there's, so sponsors, I think sponsors take a lot of the personality out of it. I mean, there's not a lot of guys running around fist pumping other than uh, Tiger that gets pretty well paid for it from Nike and the rest of them. But I, I, I think sponsorship, especially in golfers, because it's such a personal thing, it takes some of the fire out of it, if you will. Do you think you have to be plausible as a bad guy for the villain thing to work? I mean, it, you use Mac Hughes. Mac is a wonderful guy. We, you and I both know him. A lot of people listening know him or know of him. He's one of the nicest guys you're going to meet. If Mac decides that, you know what, I'm not getting enough attention on the PGA Tour, I'm going to pull a heel turn here, and one day I'm going to show up, and I'm just going to try and be the almost the wrestling equivalent of the bad guy. Does that work or does, or to be the real villain, you have to truly believe that the guy really is the person that you think he is? Because nobody would believe that if Mac did that. No, they wouldn't. And, and quite frankly, I'm sure for some of those guys, it's an act. I mean, it's, they, they live on the edge anyway, but they know that they can get on sports center a lot more if they do something a little crazy every once in a while so people will pay attention i think you've got to like i say live on the edge and a lot of them make calculations and know what they're going to do is going to be over the edge and going to get talked about but you're right Sidney crosby mackenzie hughes those guys do something like that they're going off everybody says it's just a one-off he's not like that i mean He's not capable of doing that stuff. He's too nice a guy, right? So I think you've got to have a bit of an edge there. And the real top athletes don't need it. You don't see it in very many of the premier athletes, right? They don't, uh, whether they're image conscious or, like I said, sponsorship conscious, um, you, you just don't see it in the premier guys. But the guys on the edge, 
Uh, they do it. They're, they're showmen. Eddie Shack, going back a few years. Uh, Darcy Tucker um, kind of played on the edge, but he would do things once in a while, poke a stick in there to just create a little more havoc than normal. And the guys that like that love them for, love them for doing it. Well, and some guys, it seems, including Patrick Reed, who we're talking about, you mentioned Darcy Tucker, some guys, it seems, thrive on it. They feed off the, almost the hatred of the people. Now, Patrick Reed, because of what's going on now, there are no fans on the course, but he, I mean, he won a green jacket. He won the Masters being hated. And it seems like some of these guys, they almost get some sort of extra pump out of knowing that everyone is rooting against them and everyone hates them and everyone just wishes they would pull a hamstring in the middle of a round. Yeah, they do. Um, and some guys, you're right, some guys thrive on it. Some guys, because it's golf is such an individual sport, it's got to be me against the world sometimes. It's not like a team thing where, you know, you can have a tremendous dislike for a, uh, Darcy Tucker, but it's not going to fire the Pittsburgh Penguins up to hate the Toronto Maple Leafs. They're going to go after Darcy Tucker if that's what we're talking about. In golf, maybe that's how he wins. Maybe that's how he motivates himself. No one, there's a one person at home, pardon me, at home watching this thing that likes me, and I'm fine with that. I'm going to show them all. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's for these guys who, I mean, it's a high-risk play to make. And the reason is because if you look at the guys who are making big money in any sport, especially in the sports that are not salary, that are winnings, the vast majority of what they make is from endorsements. And if you're going to be the guy that wants to be hated or is okay with being hated, theoretically, you're not going to get a ton of endorsements, so you'd better be winning. Because the most of your money is going to come from prize money, you better be pretty good. Because you know, unless unless there's a calculus going on in your head that says, you know, I, I'm really brilliant here. I'm going to be the bad guy for the first five years, and then do something that shows everybody I've turned the coin and I'm beloved now. Well, you you better be a pretty good actor to be able to pull that one off. Because if you misfire on that one you're never getting those endorsement deals and that money that you could have had is never coming your way. Yeah. It's uh, to use your earlier analogy. It's not wrestling. Hulk Hogan can't be the bad guy. He can't paint Brown sideburns on himself and turn into a heel in real oh, he life. Did, and, well, <laughs> he did though. He did though. It was wrestling. Yes. Sometimes, yep. Some people think wrestling isn't real. It isn't. I just said some people. I didn't say everybody. You don't have to. I don't want to tell you there's no Santa Claus, but some people think it's fake. Somebody just wrote in. Uh, Mike. Mike just wrote in. Here's a good question. Some Mike just wrote in and says, "What about Eddie the Eagle? Was he a hero or was he a villain?" See, I think there's no question that Eddie the Eagle was a hero, but that was a different kind of thing. Eddie the Eagle was a back in the Olympics in the Calgary Olympics. He was a sad sack so almost a pitiful character that you end up cheering for that falls into almost a third category here Wait, nobody thought badly of eddie the eagle they just thought that he was horrible i was at the 88 olympics 88 and, pardon uh, me you're right um was walking down the street with a couple of buddies and there was a whole horde of people surrounding somebody up front and 
were thinking it must have been hockey players. It was Eddie the Eagle. So I went and watched him jump, and he could hardly, if you remember, he, he could hardly get to the landing area. And actually, because of Eddie the Eagle, but the place was packed. Like, there was more. Now, I, I don't regularly go to ski jumping, as you might appreciate, although I did go to the Big Thunder and Thunder Bay, but there was all kinds of people there. Run into Horst Bulau while you were there? Yeah. <laughs> they made them, they changed the qualifying. Like each country couldn't just send your best ski jumper. There were thresholds he had to meet because he was not, if you recall, landing areas, there's generally a line that they land behind or past. Well, <laughs> he wasn't getting there. And everybody <laughs> loved him. And he didn't wipe out. So you're right. He was. He was certainly not a villain. He was kind of like the everyday guy that said, you know, I got these long skis. Why don't I try this and just go to the Olympics? The Jamaican bobsled team. Well, and I was just going to say, I was just going to say there, there is a, you know, the fact that this topic was brought up, we weren't going to go here. We'll only spend a minute here, but I, I think the Olympics made a horrendous mistake when they did what you just described and they put in these new qualifying numbers and everything else. Because if you think about it in 88, they had Eddie, the Eagle and they had the Jamaican bobsled team Uh, in 2000 in, I think it was 2000 in um, Sydney. You may or may not remember. They had a swimmer named Eric Musambani, who was known as Eric, the eel who swam the hundred meters. And he, he was one of the last two guys in his heat because all the other guys had gone and the guy he was racing against, false started and was disqualified. So Eddie, the eel had to swim by himself and they almost had to throw the life preserver in for the guy. He was so slow. He was from Equatorial Guinea and in Equatorial Guinea, they only had one pool in the entire country, apparently indoors. And it was a 20 meter pool or something. So he'd never learned how to do a turn. And, (laughs) but you look at him and there was a woman, uh, I can't remember her name, similar type swimmer and all these. And you think these are, stories that we love about the Olympics. Why do you want to get rid of these stories that, I mean, they made a movie about Jamaican bobsledding. They made a movie about Eddie, the Eagle. Why would you want to get rid of that? Well, how often have you said, why don't we put the top Ontario high school, hundred meter guy into an Olympic heat race with gold and see what happens. And in actual fact, the, the Eddie, the Eagle and the eel, that's really what happened. They, they weren't elite athletes. They weren't premium. They may have been the best in their country, but the bar wasn't set very high. It's like, all right, Eddie's the only guy with long skis. Let's send him to the ski jumping. So it, <laughs> it, 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 I can see it playing into your hand because you like that stuff, and so do I. Well, I don't like it with everybody. I don't want a hundred of them there. Then it, then it becomes ridiculous. And maybe there's some rules you have to put in, but yes, I, I've argued before many times that if you were to put an average athlete into an Olympic race, it gives you a context to show how fast these guys or girls really are. Because right now, when you have eight elite sprinters from around the world and they finish two one hundredths of a second apart from each other, they it's impossible to know how good they are. Unless you're there in person and see them, you just can't tell how good they are now throw me on the starting line or you on the starting line and they're crossing the hundred and Usain Bolt is finishing and I'm still at 50 yards well now you have a pretty good idea how just how good these guys are 
Yeah, they fly. Yeah, the, the, the best in the world are the best in the world for a reason. They're so superior and su- such elite athletes. They're just yeah. I, but throwing the odd normal guy in to put it in perspective, there's nothing wrong with it. I would also like since Super Bowl week is coming up. I would like to apply the same standard to Super Bowl. I would love for one of the networks, and I think CBS is doing it this year, to take a average guy, and you've got the technology now, so you take the best receiver on either team, and you know one or two of the routes that they're going to run over the course of a game. Get some average guy to run the same route and see where they are on the field when they're doing like a fly route down the field so that the guy's going 60 yards down the field and see where he catches the ball and where the other guy at full sprint would have got to. Uh, you know, things like this. And, and, and you're thinking and you're thinking that the Super Bowl is a good place to test this out. Why not? They test out, every, I mean, how many other goofy things have they tested out technology-wise technology at the Super Bowl? Every year yeah. they do something. So, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You don't do it the next time. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don, I don't know if you watched on the weekend uh, any of the Leafs against the Oilers. Connor McDavid was just ridiculous again. And then he had another ridiculous goal, I think, last night. And it got me thinking that, you know, this is a guy, clearly the best player of his generation, I think. I don't even think there's any argument about that. And... Yet he could, I'm sure, walk down the main street of any street in the United States and have no one recognize him. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't believe I am. So, okay, there'd be some hockey fan along the way, but by and large, he's not a recognizable, well-known face. Not He's not like a Michael Jordan or a Magic Johnson or a Tom Brady or anything like that. How does the NHL do a better job of marketing this guy? Because it seems to me they're just wasting their greatest asset right now. Well, especially this year when there's an all-Canadian division, they'll never see him. <clears throat> that said, you know, um, Wayne Gretzky was the greatest player on the planet for more than a decade and probably didn't get any recognition until he got, or the recognition he deserved, until he was traded to uh, the LA Kings and played in the American market. And now... Even kid hockey fans can tell you who Wayne Gretzky was. So it's just a really a matter of exposure in that market. And I don't know. Um, Sidney Crosby may be in a similar boat and has played his entire, I think, 13 years in Pittsburgh. So unless you're going to be outstanding with the Rangers or, boy, L.A., some of those big markets, I don't know how the NHL, other than what they do a little bit on NBC, and that clearly isn't enough, I don't think anybody will get the recognition they deserve until the NHL can get back on ESPN if that's if they can and if that's the deal they make because, you know, ESPN's a sports uh, uh, conglomerate in the U.S., and it's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough road to hoe, and it's you know basketball is the easiest sport i think to recognize the players they don't wear helmets they wear undershirts and shorts and you can see them even for football players i mean it's hard to i mean you know who tom brady was but there'll be a lot of elite football players that you know you don't see them much with their headgear on 
Well, no, I mean, and at least with football, you'll see a guy go over to the sideline and take his helmet off. So there's a point when the camera is on him that you see him without the helmet. You you just never see that with hockey players or very rarely if they're, if the lid pops off in a game or they're fixing their hair or something, but it's rare. It's really rare. And so I, you can see their face. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Do you think that if Sidney Crosby was, for example, uh, a guest star, not a guest host necessarily, but popped up in a sketch on Saturday Night Live. Do you think that the audience, without knowing, without them saying Sidney Crosby, do you think the audience, most of them would know who Sidney Crosby was? No, I don't think they would. And I, I, sure, I don't would. believe, Con- and I don't believe they would with Connor McDavid. And I don't know who the hockey player is. Which says to me either that the that NHL players are unmarketable because of the helmets and everything else, or the NHL has just done not a very good job at marketing these guys. Well, I think the NHL get as much mileage, mileage as they can out of them. I think one of the factors that helps make a guy, an athlete, famous or a woman famous is if they get lead endorsement deals from major companies. Um, like if all of a sudden General Motors decided that Sidney Crosby would attract the type of clients they wanted to buy their pickup trucks, for example, and they could make him famous because he would be, you know, a major spokesman for a major corporation. If uh, Connor McDavid all of a sudden became the face of Apple, who don't have a face, but right, they, I mean, their president always is. But if mm-hmm. somebody hooked their wagon to a National Hockey League player in the United States, that would change things. Obviously, these large companies don't think there's that big a value in National Hockey League guys. And that's, you know, there's no shame in it. It's just the way it is. I mean, hockey is not a premium sport in, in America. It's much better than it was 25 years ago, but it's not a, it's not a, go-to sport for no but even they wouldn't have to cut the deal they did with nbc but even the uh, I, I agree with you but the top one or two or three best athletes in the world in any sport are going to still get attention i mean look if if you had cristiano ronaldo i don't think that soccer is one of the top two or three european soccer is not one of the top two or three sports in north america but Cristiano Ronaldo walks downtown LA or somewhere, people are going to know who that guy is. The top two or three in any sport, the top two or three female basketball players in the WNBA may be noticed before or recognized before an NHL, the top two or three NHL players. And, and to me, that's just, you've got to be doing, you, somehow you've got, and I'm not saying that the WNBA players shouldn't be recognized. I'm simply saying you've got to do a better job. Somehow the league has to find a way because I, I'm, I, I agree with you, what you said. I don't think that there is an NHL player. Ovechkin, maybe, I don't know. I don't know there's an NHL player right now that would be familiar to the broader American public. I don't know if there's one. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the, the NHL never enjoyed that, right? They've never, they, uh, like, I'm pretty sure when, Bobby Hall signed in Winnipeg. He wasn't concerned about all the endorsements he was losing in the U.S. Right? He was going to Winnipeg. Oh, they paid. Yeah, he's also dollars. going for a million bucks, which was an extraordinary yeah. amount of money then. 
first ever million dollar athlete, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Any sport. In any sport. In any sport. Yep. There he was. How much of this, Don, if anything, how much of this lands at the feet of McDavid and Ovechkin and all the other guys, because let's be honest, the flip side of this is hockey players tend to not exactly be the most interesting people. I mean, they, they intentionally try to blend and not be that guy that stands out from the crowd. That's hockey culture. You don't be an individual. How, how much falls at their feet? Well, I think it's, uh, I think it's the culture of the game. I mean, I could do if I watched the Leaf game, and they you walked up to me and say said to me, "Pretend you're Mitch Marner. I'm going to interview you." The interview would be very similar to the one Mitch Marner gave you, because you know you know the guys around me really helped me tonight. You know, if it wasn't for them, you know, I wouldn't have had three points tonight. Our goaltender come up with superior effort, and that's just the way they talk. That's the way they're trained to talk, and they, they're not controversial. You never see. Like, in the States, basketball and football, they're premium athletes. A lot of them take a stand politically. You know, they'll, they'll speak out against Trump. I mean, they'll, they take stands. When was the last time you saw an athlete in Canada take a stand politically for the Conservatives, the NDP, the Liberals, anybody? Look at who took a stand for Donald Trump in the States. It's a different culture. Right? Jack Nicholson and Bobby Orr stood up for Donald Trump. You would never see that in the States, and it's really outside of the hockey culture. I'm surprised Orr did it, but he did. You know what I mean? It's just it's just part of their training, and it's, it's the way it is, and there's more Canadians, and we're a humble group. You know, yeah, it's... Some, it's, some, it's, great, it's... some great hockey players almost apologize for being so good. Yeah, it's unfortunate in a way because it, it just it does seem like you're never going to find the athlete and 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 and, and you know PK Subban did, and then everyone dumped on PK Subban for being an individualist and not a good teammate and all the rest. So you know you're you're sort of you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And I don't know how you get around it, and I don't know how you how you build that marketable athlete in the sport if you're not allowed to have any personality. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Pittsburgh Penguins right now, I mean, they have been a contending team for a decade and a half now. How long has Sidney Crosby been in the NHL? However long he's been in the NHL, they've been in the mix. They are now 12th in the league, and with one loss, they could fall to 20th in the league. They are, I don't think anyone's going to argue they are an elite team anymore. They're okay. But here's your question. They've just had their general manager quit. If you're the new guy coming in and you've got a blank slate and you were him right now, while he still has some mileage left on the tires and some value, would you trade Sidney Crosby? If you could get the right components, I'd trade him and uh, uh, Malkin. If you're going to do it, you may as well get rid of all of them. Because uh, if you get rid of Crosby, you're sending up the white flag to say, we're done here. Um, and I think it matters. And so if you're going to do it, go big or stay home. I don't. But would you do it? The new, yes, I would. I don't think the uh, new GM will have a blank slate. I think that's why they have a new GM. 
I, I think, I think uh, Jimmy Rutherford lost total autonomy and probably wanted to make a couple moves. I'd heard he had an opportunity to move Latang and was scuttled. And it's an interesting position for presidents and NHL owners that think they're still ready to win now. And it's hard to believe that they're not. And But this is an organization that Mario Lemieux started with and retired in. And he owns the team. So if his philosophy is they did the right thing with him and see how it turned out, they'll just take their swing. But they don't have enough below those three players, in my estimation, to trade for enough quality stuff without really gutting it. And if, if you give up, if they start giving up their future to take a run at it now, by the time Crosby and Malkin are done, they won't have backfilled with any talent and they won't have any draft picks left and they'll be in very sorry shape for a decade. So yes, I would do it now. And they haven't called by the way, but no, but I, 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 I've not heard anyone else talking. Well, maybe they have. I haven't heard any people talking about whether or not Crosby should be on the trade block or should be available, but I'm with you. How do you not at this point? Because I don't see any way that anyone is saying the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to win the Stanley Cup this year. It would take a miracle run that I don't know that they have in them. And I think there are some teams at the top. You don't think that, for example, the Montreal Canadiens, who suddenly look like a very good team, if they could add Sidney Crosby, you don't think the Montreal Canadiens are giving up two or three first round draft picks or at least two and a couple other decent pieces when they need a first line or first and a half line center? Come on. Or a couple I other think, teams that are out there? Come on. Of course they would. For Crosby? I think there's a bunch of teams that think they're close that would do it. And if there's some teams, and I haven't looked at it, but if there are teams that have been stockpiling their draft picks and are in pretty good shape, you know, it's like when the Blue Jays, when you, ref- when you refill your minor league system and you got some draft picks and you know you're going to take advantage of those uh, good, strong, young guys to make the play you need to play, if there's some te- and there's some teams out there that will think they're close because, you remember, GMs aren't on lifetime contracts anymore and some guy says, you know what? I got three years left at best here. If I give away the house and get Crosby and we get to the Stanley Cup Finals, I might get a five-year deal. That weighs into what GMs do too. They don't always do what's best for the organization five years from now because they have a best before date. So there would be a number of teams that would give up a boatload for Sidney Crosby, who I would think can still play at this level for probably another three or four years. Just I always remember the Wayne Gretzky got traded, and if Mario Lemieux, who didn't, if Mario Lemieux is the guy, and we have no idea, but if 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 in fact there are edicts from on high from Mario Lemieux saying you cannot trade Sidney Crosby under any circumstance, shame on Mario Lemieux for not understanding because when Crosby's gone, his franchise, I don't care what the situation is, his franchise is hurting. So, you know, just because he wasn't traded, look at the guy who most people say was a better player than you, who got moved three times. Mm, you know, I, I, I would do it. 
anyway. And and probably and probably Gretzky's last two moves, the team gave up far more than they should have for what they were getting, but they were getting Wayne Gretzky. Exactly. Exactly. You think the St. Louis Blues really are glad they made that move for eighteen games? Probably not. Don Robertson, always love having you on. Thanks for doing this this evening. Want to hear more? Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to The Scott Radley Show weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.